Welcome to another episode of Dice Talk. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jerundu. And we have a very special episode planned for you. Tonight, our guest is Patrick Collins. Now, Patrick is a very special guest because he was actually the first guest on this podcast that I ever interviewed that was not somebody I already knew personally. And on top of that, Patrick is the first returning guest that we've ever had. So, Patrick, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and why you're on the podcast. Okay, cool. Yeah, like uh, Jeremy said, my name is Patrick Collins. I am the host and dungeon master for the show Dice Chronicles. I used to host a different Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition podcast called Geek Sauce, but you know, through just the normal issues you have with a D and D group staying together, and you know, people's schedules and all of that, ended up having to uh, squash that one, and it sounded like it was it was time for a fresh start. So I now run Dice Chronicles with a, a couple of really cool dudes and uh, with the help of our sound engineer, Walter, create a more audio drama style uh, Dungeons and Dragons podcast rather than, you know, the standard that you hear a lot of the downtime between roles and, and looking stuff up. We try to minimize a lot of that. So it's mostly just the story. The The roles are, of course, still a part of it, but we try to make sure that it is a production, like a a drama show that you're you're tuning into rather than just the classic rolling and writing. I can absolutely tell that when I listen to it. So so far I've I've listened to the first two episodes and then your most recent episode. Oh awesome. Um just to kind of gauge it so you know I can have something to talk about with you. And that's one of the things that stood out immediately. I was very impressed how high the quality was. I was very impressed that mm. how clear everyone's voices was, some of the effects. Even on that first episode you're quality was so professional sounding like an audio drama it really does stand out well thank you that that's really awesome to hear you say that especially about the first episode because we hadn't started working with walter who is a sound engineer professionally that's that's what he does and you know due to 2020 being what it has been he uh has been helping me out in downtime which has been a lot more abundant and I was actually editing the first couple, so that's a really nice pat on the back. Thank you. (laughs) So our topic on today's episode is going to be the Feywild. Mm. And so that's another reason we brought you on uh, for this episode, because you're not, I wouldn't say necessarily an expert at the Feywild, but you are dabbling in the Feywild currently. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, So the, the story that we run is placed in a fake city that I came up with through various books that I've stolen bits and pieces from and other shows and, you know, just taking an amalgam, amalgamation of all of the ideas that I had about creating a world. And then just recently, the party has stumbled their way into the Feywild through a Fey crossing that's hidden, blah, 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 blah. You listen to the story and get more. But I have a love for the Feywild mostly because of the the Dresden Files books. Mm-hmm. Because the Feywild feels very never-never to me. Like, I mean, it feels like they're they're very interconnected. And I love the richness of the possibilities of that world. Like, you have this, this sort of chaotic nature of this ever-setting sunset that never really changes in what the Dungeon Master's Guide provides. Mm-hmm. And then if you take from, say, the Dresden Files, you have the, the, the strict uh, rules of each of the Seelie and Unseelie court. A lot of interesting monsters you can use in the Feywild. It was just, it, it's been a lot of fun experimenting and kind of throwing my own twist in and I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, what differentiates the Feywild from, say, the, the prime material uh, plane, in your view? Just the the more wild sort of mirror that 
I mean, as the Dungeon Master's Guide describes the Feywild, it that and the Shadowfell are basically mirror realms of the material plane. Mm-hmm. So you have the the extreme dark of the Shadowfell and the gray scale that kind of permeates that area. Then you move to the Feywild and it's a lot more colorful. It's fun, but it's also deadly and dangerous. Mm-hmm. And there's this otherworldly quality to, I mean, you can describe the plants in, in a completely different way. And trying to build a rich environment for players to to play in, that also kind of shifts the the normalcy of the the rules they're used to playing in can can add a lot of fun in into the game. Absolutely. I mean, the thing I was talking to Jeremy about before we started was that it's like more folky, fairy tale more whimsical, essentially. But absolutely, whimsy doesn't all have to be rainbows and and sparkles. If a creature in the Feywild decided, hey, you're, maybe your guts would look nice as bunting on the outside of my cottage. You know, that's that's still whimsical. Ah, I redecorate my home with bits of you and do it cheerfully and gleefully. <laughs> so initial perceptions might be that it's all cutesy poo and why would you want to sort of bother with that? But really that's sort of, as you say, it's a mirror image um, of the prime material plane, but with the weirdness factor sort of dialed up a bit, it's less grounded in sort of the mundane and more in sort of like high fantasy, like romantic Arthurian legend and uh, European folk tales and that sort of thing. Like Narnia or something else would be a good parallel or the undying lands in Tolkien. Certainly. That's sort of the structure that they place within the sort of cosmology of, of D&D from, from my reading at least. It's kind of like a dark um, horror almost type theme. Mm-hmm. Like when you're, when you're reading a lot of this, like you said, they're not necessarily evil, not in the way of, of like what we would think, but like that neutrality is yeah. almost more scary than evil because you don't know what to expect you don't know if you can trust them and that's how the whole Feywild is designed it says that it cannot be mapped that if you were to try to map it the next time you came back it would have changed like like narnia like you know they might come back a year later but it's been a thousand years there yeah. or whatever this place used to be his castle now it's in ruins and these ruins that are in the material plane are a massive castle in the Feywild, and that's all due to that high potent magic that is just abundant there. I mean, you have everything from, you know, elves and the Eldrin, which are really cool because there's like those new playable elves that are very different from the yeah, normal elf elves. plus. And then you also have the, the a lot more dark type creatures like trolls and hags, giants, ogres, fomorians, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you can play with all that kind of stuff. Ents and like these wicked trees. Like I'm thinking like bogeyman, like almost the the most dark stuff of Disney movies, like Snow White, like the evil trees with like the faces mm-hmm. and stuff like that's what I think of when I think of the Feywild. Certainly. Speaking of what you just mentioned, that time difference, that's something that I'm trying to incorporate into the story that we're we're currently running through. And say it's been 100 years on the material plane. Maybe it's only been 25 years inside the Feywild mm-hmm. or vice versa. And then Ents, like speaking of Ents, when I think about the Feywild, I think of a, a slightly more colorful Fangorn forest where sure. they meet yeah, Treebeard, yeah, yeah. where the hobbits are, are traveling with Treebeard. That, you know, the the weeping willows everywhere and just the, the vast overgrowth. And you, when you're traveling, you could find maybe a little bit of a game trail, but the majority of it is just this wildly overgrown, unforgiving sort of wildness. Mm-hmm. It's like um, the old planar cosmology. You'd have like the the positive uh, energy plane, which would be like a, a mirror image of the prime material, but everything would be like 
dialed up to the maximum. So you could take damage eventually by receiving so much healing energy that you would eventually explode because <laughs> the realm itself would give off so much positive energy. So you'd have to like take negative energy and necromancy and stuff to sort of negate those effects. Um, and it's kind of a little bit like that, but instead of being, you know, vivifying to the point of damaging you, it's more just sort of dialing up the uncanniness, I guess. Things are sort of similar, but different enough to be uncanny and that make them sort of more unsettling, especially if, you know, you are traveling between those planes, seeing the same sort of landmarks from a different planar perspective. You know what I mean? It can heighten up the sense of um, dramatic tension and, and nervousness by having a familiar object or place viewed through a sort of different lens. Yeah, and as a dungeon master, you can totally do that. Like, you know, the Feywild is kind of, I would say, like adjacent to mm-hmm. the Shadowfell. And when you're running Curse of Strahd, it tells you in the book, like, change the flavor of things to match the world they've been pulled into. When they do a, when they do Spirit Guardians, maybe it isn't the angel they're used to seeing. It's like some dark entity. Or when they cast a spell, change it to make it look creepy. Like, it, you could do that same thing in the Feywild. Like, maybe your sorcerer's wild magic triggers five times as often while they're in the Feywild. Or perhaps your Warlock, I mean, it literally is the Great Fey is one of the options for a Warlock patron, and that's because they have this massive, overly strong power, Mm -hmm. and I think it'd be really fun as a DM to really play with that. Like, you can set curses, and you can really sell them on how dangerous this place is. And one of the things that stood out when I was doing some research is that mortals, people who do not have a fey ancestry, so I guess if you were not elven or some sort of magical creature, you lose your memory of having gone to the Feywild in many cases. Mm. That was something I kept seeing. And you could play with that. You can be running your party through it for the first time, but creatures there remember you from the last three times you tried this. Or you know what I mean? Like, you know, you've been there before. Things like that. Absolutely. In a previous game I had run... One of the players was an arcane archer fighter, and they ended up – it was a lot of planar travel in that story. This was a couple of years ago. And he had gone and made an agreement with – in the, the Tome of Beasts, there is like an archfae type of character, the queen of night and magic, Sarastra. I love this character because she is the queen of part of the Feywild, essentially. And so she makes for a really great patron – being the Archfey, and the guy that was playing made this agreement that he was going to help her, and she bestowed these powers upon him, and he came back to the material plane. I made them roll to see if they maintained their memories, and he didn't remember any of it. Just <laughs> now he has these new abilities, no idea what the responsibilities are tied to them. And so, that, I mean, that was a really fun couple of uh, uh, sessions we ran, and everybody, like, I think two of the five party members were like, yeah, we totally remember what happened. And they lied to him, telling him that they got her pregnant and all kinds of like exacerbating stuff. It was it was a really fun uh, couple of sessions. I love those um, opportunities in games to really get the role play out uh, and play around with scenarios like that. It makes the game more enjoyable for sure Definitely. when you can kind of lose yourself. I mean, especially like this year in particular has been crazy. Yeah. So when we can get together and we can start playing and pretending that we're in some fantastical world, it's probably the highlight of of all of our weeks absolutely and it doesn't get much more fantastical than the feywild really certainly not <laughs> very brightly colored i always like i say i always think of of narnia i think is the the thing that really springs to mind for me or wonderland yeah i mean it's wonderland yeah the kind of the yeah the interaction of um you know creatures from classical mythology you know uh, fairies and fawns and all that kind of thing but then you've also got like hags and uh boggles uh my new favorite entity to exist in the fair world is definitely boggles and from you know from a european perspective being british um a lot of these sort of 
references are, are things that I can relate to from just sort of cultural touchstones around um, around the place, and it sort of formulates it into a kind of um, I don't know, like a, a fo- like a folkloric group subconscious. I think, especially for you know those of us who've uh, lucky enough to sort of um, have our eyes like open to the the history that you know we have in the these fair isles uh, and around the world. But particularly, as I say, you can see those parallels in the descriptions of the Feywild. So it sort of really ties it to sort of like my sense of cultural identity, I think. So, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting experience to sort of like do a deep dive into the concepts behind it. And again, the sort of literary parallels, you know, it's from the Undying Langs of Tolkien or C.S. Lewis or romantic Arthurian tales. They really sort of have this soft magic, I guess, is the way to approach it. Merlin is a supremely powerful magic wizard, but where exactly he derives his power or where Morgan Le Fay gets her power from is very loosely defined. I think the the fun thing to play around with that is it gives you, as the DM, a lot of freedom to just do stuff because I say so and not feel quite so constrained by having something, you know, be relatable or understandable by, you know, your level 10 wizard or whatever's in the party doing an arcana check it's like it just happens just because this is what happens in the fake wild you know it's like, yeah it's not something that you can rationalize necessarily speaking to what you're saying we have a wild soul barbarian in our current party mm-hmm. and so I haven't really done this much yet, but the longer that they stay in the fey wild, I feel like I want to start making him make more wild magic surge oh, rolls yeah. because of just this overwhelming magic energy that's just circulating them at all times. Mm, definitely. And I was thinking about, you know, when I was trying to desperately create a uh, a boggle, which for those of you who don't know, is a essentially a little goblin bogeyman type fey creature. And I desperately want to play one. Uh, so I was trying to work out how to sort of translate that into a playable character. So having a play about with uh, D&D Beyond, the new optional settings and so on, I was sort of stumbling through what I could do. I picked uh, Sorcerer because it seemed like the, you know, you were there li- living in this extremely overtly magical realm, sort of imbued with this magical ability. But the only one I had available was Dragon Soul, which gives you wings and some cool stuff. But it's like, I can just redress that. If you're living imbued in this sort of magical environment and you're an inherently magical creature where you get some spontaneous mutations why not have a pair of beautiful butterfly wings sprout from the back of this hideous little oily like a pixie yeah wing. exactly little pixie wings sprouting off the back of this hideous goblin because um, it just lives saturated in magic and whimsy so why not maybe a boggle's just a male pixie maybe so like, like the females have wings who can say the choice is yours, DMs. Or you were saying you went with sorcerer. You could use some of, like you were about to say, Patrick, use some of that wild magic mm. um, off that wild magic table and just use that like to help create your homebrewed little um, you know, race or species over here like for making that boggle or trying to make a pixie or whatever it is you wanted to make. Um, I think another fun thing would be to not only just use the wild magic table that already exists, but add your own effects to it or, or put Hell some yeah. twists oh, yeah. on it. So that person's like, Ooh, 26. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it doesn't do the same thing it did last time. Don't get too excited. Change places. Have you ever done anything like that, Patrick? I haven't created too many ulterior options as far as the wild magic table, because we are, are just now starting to use this wild barbarian table. Mm-hmm. We haven't gone through all of the options just yet, <laughs> but, Thank you for the idea, because being in the Feywild, I think I should manipulate his uh, his options a little bit. I th- I I still vote for random mutations because uh, they're fun, even if it's just something minor and cosmetic. Like you grow a mustache, you can't get rid of. That's awesome. Uh, you know, 
something like that. Something whimsical and odd and inexplicable. Yeah, they turn into ooze or something. Or they, like, change their, like, they're, like, now they're, like, a jelly creature. Yeah. They look the same, but they're, like, you touch them, they're, like, sticky or maybe that doesn't even last. Maybe as soon as they get out of the Fey Wild, it's, like, was that a dream? Or they still have the curse and they have no idea how they got it. So do you have, uh, Jorondu, you said that you have the Boggle is essentially your favorite fey creature at this point. Yeah, definitely. Jeremy, I'm curious to know what your favorite creature would be from what you know of the Feywild. Um, you know, I was looking at it, and when I'm looking at the list that I could at least find in the brief amount of research I did, it was like saying there's Fomorians, which the the picture that it shows is like this tall troll-like creature with like a hunched over back and its spine sticking out. It looks like one of the people that is that plays on the Monstars in space. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's what it good looks call. like. Is yeah, the small one call. of those. Or like the dude from uh, Three Hundred. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It looks like that. But then I don't know. Then it had the goblins and hobgoblins and trolls and hags. These all almost seem like a tiered military to me. So I feel like you could have someone that's in charge of these legions, not like once again, kind of like a Disney movie, like mm. Maleficent. Like you have this, and she is like the queen of the you know the cursed fairy forest or whatever. Just imagine that forest is the whole plane. You can have like a, a lich or something equivalent to it, or like a a witch or a hag, or you could use the Baba Yaga stats and change it, or you could do all sorts of stuff. Maybe this place is filled with different um, folklore, mythological tales from all sorts of cultures. Like this is the place where they're real in the Feywild or I don't know. I just think it'd be cool to create some sort of creature or, or research and find a creature that would be like in charge of these legions. Um, Like what is it that makes them so bad? Because there are these multiple kingdoms Mm. and there's a good side and a bad side and, um, you know, all all these different kings and queens. So you really could. And I guess that's what I'm looking for. It's just some sort of homebrewed creature that you can make that would be in charge, like like a lich or a witch or something. That's very cool. I was going to say, I think I would see it as like um, a loose sort of shifting set of petty kingdoms, sort of like Dark Ages Europe again, just because I can see the parallels to the, the romantic like Arthurian legends. It's all like sort of small sort of petty kingdoms and different kings fighting each other, stealing each other's property, fighting giants, and then cutting each other's heads off with magic swords. I would sort of see, rather than have sort of like really large, sort of super powerful empires, I would have thought you'd probably have like more fragmented petty kingdoms sort of with like strewn throughout the, uh, throughout the Feywild, particularly given the sort of inherently chaotic nature of like wild magic and all that kind of jazz. But again, that's just my personal spin my favorite of the feywild creatures other than the queen of night and magic as being like this this arch fey sort of patron or you know big shot caller in in the uh i believe she's the unseely i i I get them confused Mm. most of the time but one of the smaller easier to to play with characters that i've used in the feywild is the red cap because they're just this sinister like monstrous Mm -hmm. little garden gnome that can be used you know, as a, a a subordinate to some other, like like a hag is what I had referenced in in what we're doing now. Sure. And yeah. just to to role play, you, I got a, I found myself slipping into a bit of a golem voice while these things are talking, and their their mannerisms are creepy <laughs> and and doll like, but their goal is to soak their hats in blood. Yeah. And just the image of this thing dipping its its hat in blood and then wringing it out over its mouth and the darkness that that brought was just a lot of fun to freak out my players with and you were referencing how it how it kind of refers a lot of times to actual mm. fairy tales or different stories especially from you know from britain and 
I can think of all sorts of stories where there's some sort of creature that's in the water that like is a siren or something or some sort of mermaid or some sort of nymph that's like Kelpie or something like that. Yeah. And they're like, you know, supposed to be all sensualized and they're going to somehow trick or lure in some, you know, your hero and then, you know, take advantage of their Mm -hmm. lust or their greed or whatever it may be. And that's, to me, very much the kind of thing you would find in the Feywild. And that makes me think of like a Will-O-Wisp. Yeah, That's the kind of thing. It's like you're lost in this dark, foggy forest and you see this bright light and it's just a light, right? It must be good. But in reality, it's trying to either attack you itself and sap away your magic slowly, your magic and life energy, or it's going to lead you once again to this, to something more powerful, to a witch or to some sort of creature, this, you know, giant fey patron. And I think that There are a lot of great creatures that we can talk about like that, but we are going to get to those right after we take a quick break. Do you love stories? Are you excited to lose yourself in the tales of adventure and conflict? Do you love when a great character defeats a dastardly villain in a good book or movie? Well, you're not alone. Dice Chronicles is an actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcast where we try to do just that. Tell a good story. Meet Bilbin Blum. The Artificer Gnome abandoned in an orphanage as a baby. Of course not, we're going to fight a dragon. Our Warforged Sword Bard Henri, as he tries to uncover the details of his shrouded past. Sometimes defense is better than offense. And Yaren Kuzlo, wild soul barbarian striving to come to terms with his family's disgraced past and finding his own place in the world. Beautiful, yet haunting. See how they fare against the challenges and monsters the Dungeon Master sets before them. Find Dice Chronicles at our website, dicechronicles.podbean.com, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. From the city that brought you Kentucky Fried Chicken, Sluggers, and Muhammad Ali comes Roll for Weird, a Monster of the Week actual play podcast. Join Philbert Fogel, Doomsday Prepper, and Expert. I mean, I'm kind of like the, the linchpin that's keeping everything together in the group. Laysath, the divine, and the sensible. And I still owe him my life, so I would have to end yours. It would be a mess. Shadow, the edgy initiate. I trust him with my life. I don't know if I trust him with, you know, my bank account or my car or something like that. Misty Charlotte Paladino, spellslinger. And trench coat enthusiast. But I haven't set anything on fire that I haven't meant to set on fire. Silas Lancaster, elderly vampire. There's only one Philbert. They broke the mold when they made Philbert. And Dragonbait as the Creeper Keeper. Silas, get back in your room! Roll for Weird on Twitch, streaming monthly. New podcast episodes every other Friday. Available on Apple or wherever you find your podcasts. And we are back. So before our break, we were talking about uh, a lot of the various creatures that we can find within the Feywild. And Chirundu was actually doing some quick on-the-air research for us to get the most updated news about these little critters. So Chirundu, what type of creature was it that you had um, found for us? The answer we were looking for was Meanlock. Yeah, a Meanlock is a, it's a, like a, an ugly little insect dude who is um, formed spontaneously in the Feywild by people experiencing fear. 
And yes, it's a hideous little uh, insect fellow. Had no purpose other than to destroy good and beauty, and resorted to telepathic torture in order to terrify and corrupt other creatures. And then anybody who succumbs to that torture is then also transformed into a mean luck. Just, you know, so fear is contagious, uh, as is mean luckism, uh, it seems. Um, but yes, the little diseased, horrible, deformed insect for mean luck. Big nasty pinchers and, and mandibles. And mm. I was just reading on that also. It says when more than one of these things shows up, a, a lair just magically appears for them too. That's that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, no, no, thank you. Well, we don't want any of those. It's like, oh, let's not get too scared here, or we're gonna have to fight an entire cave system full of these nasty little bug guys. And the thing is, as well, they're only two feet tall. So if they're only two feet tall, and they their method of reproduction is scaring you into turning into one of them, the things they must do at the tiny stature must be pretty horrible. <laughs> um, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Oh, here we are. Uh, they detest the direct physical combat, preferring to pick off members of a group individually as opposed to fighting them all at once. Their mean like assault was a slow and gradual eroding of the mind, tormenting and stalking their opponents for hours and even days. So they're little insect Jason Voorhees um, <laughs> that relentlessly pursue you through the Feywild, um, picking at you, teasing you psychologically before you eventually succumb to terror and become its best friend. Um... Not something I'd want to tangle with. Uh, so it's just one example. <laughs> if my party stays for much longer in the Feywild, oh, I'm totally using these. <laughs> well, anytime somebody fails a fear check, I guess more of them will turn up. So <laughs> the Feywild, it's not all fairies. Another source of inspiration for um, creating a Feywild, because when I was researching this, I was like, oh man, now I have to make a Feywild campaign. <laughs> I, have to, like, it, I get so excited, but there's not enough time for all my projects. But um, Avatar The Last Airbender, he goes to the spirit world a lot. And there are a lot of things there that are very much like, like it might look peaceful and beautiful and, and colorful, but it's very dangerous and you can get lost and you can get distracted and time is passing differently in the material world as compared to the spirit mm -hmm. world. And there's uh, one creature, it's almost like a, I don't know, like a demi god or something. It's this, it's this faceless entity that's like this weird spider creature in a cave. What it does is it will absorb your emotion so if you show any sort of emotion around it it will steal your soul and it uses your face and now it's a face stealer and oh, no. it has all these faces all over its body and it can change them at any time and when ang the avatar goes there it already has three of his faces from his past lives and it's you know it expects oh, him to fail again yeah, but he doesn't like show that. fear or anything <laughs> so after after it tries the fear approach even if you're, you know, if you're using an idea like this for your for your game or something, mm -hmm. he, he resorts to then trying to make him sad by bringing up the times he failed and making him feel guilty because any sort of emotion. But I'm thinking, you know, it's more than just combat. You can come up with scenarios where you're, you're creating creatures that are targeting their emotions. It's really getting to the character's backstory. But that's another thing when I think of the Feywild, it's just like these extremely creepy things that are very cool but you know very gorgeous but very dangerous you like it's a flower that's beautiful but it, it's poisonous or something like that have either of you read the jim butcher dresden files series i haven't i have not man it's worth it strictly for like the fey court and the interaction that he has with them and like every time he goes down there he has to deal with fey creatures 
and mm-hmm. he he's taken a couple of people with him. So he he warns everyone when they go down there, don't eat anything, don't drink anything, don't agree to anything like it all has consequences. And just that constant like anxiety of, you know, your you know, your smallest interaction with one of these one of these creatures could lead to just a life changing event based on, you know, some other mm. time later on, whether they recall that quote unquote favor. So similar themes in um, the Discworld novels um, with the notion that fae creatures or specifically elves um, or fairies rather, you know, taken outside of a a high fantasy context. These are sort of generic sort of European folkloric elves or fairies, pixies, etc. Like interchangeable sort of terms for the same thing. Um, But they come through um, stone circles and they view themselves as like an inherently superior species. And so they've been banished essentially back into the the Feywild because they subjugated humanity and are only repelled by iron. Yeah, iron is a big um, deal in, in the Feywild. The, again, really inter- sort of interesting ideas that you can sort of bring to the table just through uh, this sensation of otherness. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a sense of, you know, repelling a dominating um, army or counterculture or whatever, but it's just to perpetuate this sort of sense of s- same but different you know there's it's a similar sort of um setting but it's different enough to be unsettling or you know uh, p- potentially a th- uh, threatening whilst also being wonderful and exciting and, and sparkly what series of novels are those uh the disc world novels um disc world yeah so particularly okay. the particular novel i'm thinking of is called lords and ladies and it's about the uh witch's coven who find that elves are trying to break through the stone circle and then they try and repel them while the rest of society doesn't believe that elves are a thing anymore oh i'm gonna have to check that out you i i strongly suspect you will enjoy them immensely um it's kind of like a bit of a social satire as well uh the whole the whole series of books are sort of set up to be satirical but terry pratchett's take on traditional fantasy tropes really um eye-opening and unique and i I can't recommend them highly enough to uh to everybody i've come across a a, i listen to a lot of audiobooks when i'm at work you know i'll have one headphone in and just Mm -hmm. blow through books and I've, i've run across a couple of terry pratchett books and never actually started listening to one so now i i have the impetus i need to reserve a couple more (laughs) i honestly yeah i honestly cannot recommend them strongly enough you want to look out for if you're particularly interested in the Feywild, um, as I say, Lords and Ladies, or um, any of the books featuring like Granny Weatherwax and the Witches. So, Uncle Gerundu's suggested Feywild reading. No matter if you are running your Feywild game based on existing material that's um, been created by either 4th edition or 5th edition, because I was actually surprised to find out the Feywild's only as recent as 4th edition, which was surprising to me. Really? Or if you're completely going at it at a homebrew Mm. uh, sort of approach, I think the one theme that you kind of have to include if you you really are going to call it the Feywild is that it is another plane. It is a a different place that is parallel to our universe, but it is not necessarily on our plane. So that brings us, how do you get your characters to this world um, without them being level 20 planeswalkers? What do you know what I mean? What do you do to get them there? What, so what are some great ideas? You, what have you done in the past? Or are there places that are on the material plane that work as doorways where they can go back and forth? I mean, uh, how would the two of you approach that? I've used 
uh, from the Dungeon Master's Guide, they talk about this bleeding through across the lines of each of these planes of existence in the form of fey crossings. Mm -hmm. And it says that they are formed in extravagant works of natural art, essentially. So waterfalls are a good one. Uh, different sorts of natural phenomena you could give yourself to uh, to create these gateways. What I've done, because all of the players that I've taken into the Feywild have all been pretty low level, they have to have an escort of sorts, or mm -hmm. they have to have basically stumbled across this thing by accident. I think that, that makes sense, given how difficult planar travel is, just as a as a by-the-by in, in, within the game itself. Particularly, as you say, with the, the notions of, you know, carts and um, representatives and, you know, you can have patron from, you know, being an archfey. Um, the, the whole notion of there being sort of a hierarchical cart system or whatever sort of lends itself to you being guided in or in some way you know part of an ambassadorial party or something like that you know like you have you've gained the favor or attention of something that already lives there again not to keep harping on about british folklore but that is my frame of reference as a british person um sort of things like druidic circles uh stone circles um like stonehenge that sort of thing you know lay lines and intercies between dimensions where you know fey forces are particularly strong you could even say something like a you know maybe temporary portals appear and so say something like a crop circle or a fairy mound which is like you know a fungal spot essentially sprouting you get all these little red caps just come up on a, a little mound of earth or something like that, or a meteor strike, something like that. Just some kind of, nat as you say, a natural phenomena, something completely out of the ordinary could just open up a temporary rift or something like that. And then once you're there, the adventure is, how the hell do we get back to the prime material plane? Because this place is cool, but also really scary. <laughs> In the Sword Coast Adventures Guide, um, it, you know that book provides a lot of details on different types of people and, and in different cultures and different cities and things mm -hmm. within um, at least the Sword Coast. And one of the islands it talks about, and it's really only kind of a brief section on it, is the Isle of the Moon, which is a, a, a small crescent moon-shaped island in the middle of the ocean. And it talks about how the magic there, the wild magic there, is so strong that it's a place where a lot of Eldrin and elf people like to go um, to feel kind of close to home because it's they consider it their home second only to the Feywild. Mm -hmm. So it's it's sort of like a mecca for them. And I think it'd be interesting. Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe there is a portal there. Maybe that is a place where it's permanently linked. Maybe that's the one place on the Forgotten Realms where it's not a separate plane, but it exists together. It just sort of bleeds through. Something yeah. like that. Or because there are all these courts and these these royalties, and, and because now you can, you can play as the Eladrin, um, which are amazing. I mean, they have amazing abilities. One of them can teleport 30 feet. One of you know, they can like speak primordial. They're based on nature. But now that these are playable characters, you, you might have players who want to play them, which means their character came from the Feywild or is related to someone who did come from the Feywild. So maybe in your world, the courts are working together. Maybe the, uh, you know, the whoever's in charge of Waterdeep and the Lord's Alliance is working together with the kingdoms and the Feywild, they know about each other and they're, you know, they're trading with one another just like they would a neighbor within their own plane. And um, using that logic, mm -hmm. you might, it might be more common to go back and forth. Maybe there are now pre-established portals here and there 
Um, or there's a thing called the Fey Dark, which is the opposite of the Underdark. So perhaps that's another place where it connects Good down God. in the, Absolutely. you know, in the deep city where the Myconids are. And there's these giant mushrooms. And maybe you take part in some mushroom ritual with the Myconids. And when you wake up, you were on the <laughs> other side. Now you're in the Fey Dark and not the Fey Wild. And yeah, just totally just hanging out yeah. with the Myconids, dude. Like, a, we had <laughs> a really ultimate bad trip. <laughs> my gosh, bro, we had such an amazing mushroom ritual. Uh, you could work. I mean, you could. That could be your whole campaign. Is you are a secret agent that works. Could be a dream cycle. In, uh, you work for Waterdeep, and they're sending you across to the other side, and they're like, "Look, you're not going to remember your mission because you lose your memory of here as soon as you get over there." So we have to write all this stuff down. So when they start the game, any information you give them is what their the agent has been given to remember, like, this is your mission. This is why you've been sent here. That sounds amazing. And now they're already in the Feywild from the start. And they're telling you, like, you are a secret agent at the Waterdeep High Court. You have been sent to do this, this, and this. You need to find a way to do that. Like, that'd be a cool whole campaign just off of one little mm -hmm. letter you type up. D&D &D memento. And you could even not plan it that much. You could just let them sandbox it. And all you do is provide that little thing that says you're on a mission. Let them decide what the mission was by the little things they do all the time. They'll come up with it for you. Yeah, give them just one or two little seeds and watch that just grow into chaos. Yeah. It doesn't take much <laughs> in my experience. <laughs> Mine either. <laughs> I find myself planning so much for for campaigns and like, oh, this NPC and this NPC are going to have this going on and none of it is useful by the time it gets to the table and they've gone a completely different direction. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, luckily I wrote something for that too. So here's another little seed. And it's like the the sort of things my main take just going for a bit of a tangent about dming generally is like the main things i've taken away from dming are that everything takes three times longer than you think it's going to and secondly the things that you think you're going to do are just you might as well just throw them straight out the window yeah <laughs> it's going to take three times longer than you thought to do an encounter you didn't plan <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm actually interested to see because I'm I'm torn as the DM in this Feywild adventure that they're running on. I have this situation where I've created an encounter for them that is mm -hmm. well above their level. They should not fight this creature that they're about to meet. I'm worried that they're going to try because they're oh, we're magic and we can do whatever we want. This is D&D. So, I mean, I've have either of you ever been in a situation where you set something up where you're like, okay, this is a teaser for something to come later. You sh as players, you should realize that, no, you shouldn't fight this thing. You should run away. Or, like, do you set it up so that you tease it and they don't get the opportunity to fight it? They leave after just having been seen. Like, where would you find yourself in that sort of situation? I am notorious for throwing challenges at my players that's above their level. I provide them the hints they need to know it's a bad idea, um, such as scorched. Uh, like, let's... Okay, so one of my books that I have on the DM's Guild is The Plight of the Blight Thief. And you start in a town and there's the guard. And if you try to fight one of the guards, you're only level one and you'll probably lose at first. 
but they all have a certain armor. So when you, later in the book, you'll find a charred guard that's wearing the same armor. And if they're smart enough to know they couldn't defeat the, the guard, whatever defeated this guard obviously could take them down. Um, but in that book, you get hit with like a fire blast that is, if it hits you for max damage, will kill, outright kill a level one character. But I put, you know, a scorch mark there. There's a, a warning sign. There's bones littering. So I do that kind of all the time, like a lot. And I, I will, I drop people to zero nearly every game, but I only kill, I've only killed a few people every, like it wasn't very often. So I think if you provide them with the right warning and you do provide them with a chance to either avoid it or get away, if they make the right decisions and they're not just being arrogant, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's up to the players to be creative. And, and as long as you're not tricking them, it's not a got you moment. It's not a, Oh, you forgot to say you picked up your sword. So now you don't have a sword anymore or something like that. I think as long as you provide the signs, it's okay to throw something at them. That's a big of a challenge. And I say that as someone that's been running curse of Strahd for the past nine months, mm. Uh, if you went right instead of left, you're going to run into something that's twice your level. You know what I mean? So it's you just know he, you know he's a sadistic fuck. Um, I think all I think your only responsibility as the DM is to make sure they know that. Make sure they know, hey, this yeah. is a place where it's not a Mario game. You don't have them. You're not in level one, so you have everything you need to beat level one. If you wander into this cave and you run into something that's bigger than you, you need to make the decision to fight it or not. And as long as they know that's the stakes. I think that makes for a more fun game. At least I would like that as a player. If I was, I was playing, I want it to be kind of dangerous. I want to know like, yep, mm. let's run away. Let's not fight that thing. I think that's a fair point. As long as everybody knows going in, that's what's going to happen. If you find yourself in a position where just through being a bit silly, maybe like we in the community that we are like podcasting or whatever, you know, we're, we're all taking it pretty pretty goddamn seriously aren't we let's let's be honest like oh yeah when we're playing the game like role playing properly etc etc but when i'm playing for a group of my drunken reprobate friends from real life who perhaps don't engage with it in quite the same way as we would as people producing content a lot of times they'll get themselves into situations that they didn't really mean to just because they're we've all been sat around a table we haven't seen each other for a couple of months and it's fun to just get drunken or whatever and and have a have a laugh and so sometimes they have walked themselves into situations just through trying to score one-liners that that <laughs> then like you know if i just went around and did a tpk nobody would be happy about that it would just be like a real downer of you know interrupting my friends trying to have a you know a good time living out their 80s action dreams so what I would then do instead is just present that threat as basically saying you are beneath my contempt. It's not worth me even bothering trying to kill you. You know, in one of my Numenera games, for instance, they just decided to tackle this like uh, head of a crime cartel in his office and they didn't bother to check like whether or not the receptionist triggered a silent alarm when they breathed past her. So 50 dudes with assault rifles turned up. And they were like, right, well, this is a clearly a no-win situation. Give me all the, give me all your valuables and get out. <laughs> and so I, instead of having them fight, I just humiliated them, essentially, <laughs> then sent them on their way. And that gave them more motivation to come back and fight him again when they're actually ready to do it because they've been humiliated the first time around rather than TPK'd because they just got a bit silly and wanted to 
be cheeky to the BBEG, you know? But again, it depends. As, as you say, it was entirely valid if we're all adults going into a situation going, this is probably not good, not a good idea, but hey-ho, I'm in it for the RP <laughs> role initiative. Then, you know, I think that's fair enough too, you know. But it's, it's just managing player expectations, I think, and how serious um, your particular set of players are. In the situation that I'm referring to that's about to come up on our show, the person that escorted them into the Feywild and gave them this fetch quest that they're on currently, mm-hmm. he summoned two Earth Elementals, knocked them all out, waited for them to wake up, and then had a nice little conversation with them and said, oh, you know what? I got to go. And they ended up going with him. And so <laughs> this this entity, like, I, I'm hoping that by showing them that the guy that's helping them out could kill them. The the thing yeah, they're going sure. after could most certainly kill them. <laughs> yeah. I hope they make the right decision. Otherwise, we're rolling new characters and starting another story. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I say, I think I would, especially given the amount of free reign you've got, just because of the potential for like soft magic within the Feywild, is maybe um, not that I'm saying you want to just sort of like cheap your players by just uh, like having a uh, you know uh, ex machina for your chosen bad guy, but you've got a lot more free reign to have a wild magic event happen or something like that that prevents them from even getting into that situation in the first place, you know? You can also save them with wild magic. Like, something it seems so weak, and then something happens, and if you play it right, and if you've done these types of things, you know, previously in the Feywild, they won't feel like you bailed them out. You can make it somehow feel like an event happened that is if just a crazy event of mm-hmm. the Feywild without them feeling like, oh, he just, you know, he's being cheap to save us. But if you're playing with actual dice, just roll a lot for no reason and don't tell them why. And then, <laughs> and, then and then when you need to, it's like, oh, look, you've, you've had a wild magic event that's been beneficial to you. <laughs> you're welcome. Wink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoa, the dice gods are really in your favor this time, party. Who would have thought? You mentioned summoning elementals, and one of the things we haven't talked about yet is a lot of the, the base fey language is primordial. Mm. And the different dialects of primordial are Aquin, Orin, Ignin, and Terran. So that's mm-hmm. water, air, uh, fire, and earth. So... I think you can also play around with that whole how important the elements are to these creatures. I mean, the Eldrin are based on the seasons, and they too represent those same four elements in their own ways. So, Mm. I mean, there's a reason that's the language they speak. So I think that shows how interconnected the nature is to the to the people that inhabit this and then the magic is is also part of the nature it's not something separate it's as if the world itself is producing the magic and i think that's Mm -hmm. something you can play with and then we're also talking about how it's not like your standard good and evil um because they're actually kind of like the two sides of the same coin you have the seely and the unseely and the seely are essentially celestials and half celestials and the unseely are fiends and half fiends but both of them seem to be okay with abducting mortals to uh, do with them what they will. It said that the Seely usually just do it because it's like, oh, look how fun and silly and what can we make them do? And the Unseely are like, we're going to um, enslave you. So they're both doing things, but there's clearly one seems worse than the other. But like you said before, someone might 
strip someone's skin off to use it to like, oh, look at this colorful coat we made. <laughs> we made some, we made a lovely coat. Yeah. Or, you know, look at this leather bound series of novels I wrote and human yeah, skin. Exactly. <laughs> I wonder what species of butterfly would lay its eggs in your rotting corpse. Let's find out. <laughs> uh, I don't want that. No, thank you. Stay away from me, evil fairies. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great a great setting for being able to to play with people's expectations. I think because especially because most people's preconceptions about fae and fairies is just sort of like Tinkerbell, right? Really. And if if your head isn't immediately filled with like awesome story ideas for using the Feywild, you've been bringing up um, European folklore. Grimm's fairy tales. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I I think of any of those. I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a Feywild encounter. That's a Feywild yeah, encounter. Absolutely. I mean, like Rumpelstiltskin or something like that could easily be like, uh, oh, you know, any kind of perfect fake creature. Hansel and Gretel. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a and, hag. Yeah, a, absolutely. Straight up. <laughs> well, I mean, m- most of like European sort of witches, you know, uh, hags essentially in the Feywild terminology. Um, that would, you know, that's your conception of your, your Grimm's fairy tales or Hans Christian Andersen or whatever, you know, um, all built around these awkward little folk tales. Or like Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga, obviously, would be, uh, I think is explicitly a hag within the um, Forgotten Realms rules, right? I mean, she's already a literal character in Curse of Strahd with existing stats. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, I mean, Baba Yaga is um, Eastern European folklore. Which means she exists in this somewhat adjacent plane in the in the you know and she could who's to say baba yaga of all creatures could probably go from the you know the fey wild to the um to the other dark mm-hmm. plane but it's just i think using stories pre-existing stories and fairy tales and pre-existing folklore and stuff that's a, a great place to look um if you're writing your own fey wild campaign i i'm working on a, a fourth DMs Guild title called White as Snow. And what I'm doing is doing a very horrific take of Snow White, where Snow White is not the the good person in this situation. And she's actually a vampire, um, which is why her skin is white as snow, her hair is black as coal, and her lips are as red as blood, which is the original Grimm Brothers quote. And reading just that original quote is what made me think to write that whole campaign in this more really dark, horrific setting, because that is very different from the Snow White Disney mm-hmm. likes to have you uh, think about. So I think, yeah, like you said, go to the Grim Brother Grim Brothers book specifically. Look at the original version of these tales, which are much more dark than well, these I think uh, washed out cartoon versions you might be familiar when with. The, when the Ugly Sisters in Cinderella originally forced to like, have like hot coals put in their shoes and then forced to dance to death or something as penance for yeah rumple still skin is like a demon that's really really dark stuff yeah yeah (laughs) really dark stuff. he like folds himself in half or or just yeah it i listened to uh so hard he rips himself in half. i listened to a, a dan cummins time suck episode on the grim brothers and he goes back and and just the wildness of those original stories and the the real darkness that's in those stories is is pretty crazy compared to you know how soft everything is for children things, nowadays. Things are and these were sanitized. considered children's stories. Like, oh, it's time for bed. Let's read about the monster. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this is the thing, and these are some of the the earliest tales that were told, and I think that's why it, 
the creep factor can resonate so strongly with us just because of that, you know, it's so ingrained from us from such a young age. And then they shoved the old lady into the oven. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I watch movies even from, like, the 80s, which isn't that long ago, but you'll watch these and they're like, I remember, like, I watched The Dark Crystal and be like, man, it's a very dark did this movie. not give me nightmares as a child? Or, like, I'm watching things where I'm like, these are all so dark, but these are some of my favorite movies. Yeah, never-ending never story. story. You show that to a kid <laughs> today and they're like, oh, my God, that's so creepy. <laughs> Labyrinth. Labyrinth is super dark. <laughs> I've had a great time talking about the Feywild with the two of you, and I have had a great time having you back on for a second episode, Patrick. But we are actually out of time already on this episode. So before we go, is there anything that either of you would like to leave our listeners with? Just one more thing um, that you would like them to take away from this episode. Um, I would have to say if you're running a game or if you're playing in a game, if you ever wanted to venture into the Feywild, talk to your DM about it because they're going to be excited to do it because it's a very silly place to do it. And if you are the DM that's having somebody ask that or if you want to do it don't be afraid of it because at the end of the day it's just a game and it's we're here to have fun that's why you get around the table with friends and you create stories tell a good story have fun doing it and don't be afraid of it as always i just wanted to take some time to say thank you for listening to the podcast i hope that our discussions were able to entertain and inspire you do you have an idea for a guest you'd like to hear us interview? Or perhaps a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the show? We want to hear about it. You can send us comments, questions, or just say hi by going to dicetalkpod.com. There, you can stay up to date on all the latest Dice Talk news and streaming schedules. Also, be sure to go to majesticgoose.com where you can check out all the awesome tabletop shows that we offer on the network. If you want to find us on social media, you can do so on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search Dice Talk and start following us today. You can also get in touch with us by sending us an email to dicetalkshow at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. They really help to get us to the top of the charts and they get our name out there. Leaving us a review lets us know how you feel about the show and it really is the best way that you can support us right now. Don't forget to tell your friends about us and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. I'll talk to you next time on Dice Talk. A Majestic Goose Podcast. Oh.